the election episode. This is On Life with Jamie Sinclair, episode 14. Welcome. So yeah, today we will be discussing the upcoming election and voting. I know I'm still trying to figure things out and uh, I suspect more than a few of you are as well because I've heard from some of you and you're interested in hearing my thoughts. I certainly don't have the end all be all, but I've thought about this a bit and I'd love to discuss. First, some shorter questions that have been sent in recently. The first one is this, how old is God? Signed, Luke, age three. Well, Luke, thanks for sharing the question. Uh, the Bible describes God as the ancient of days in the book of Daniel. Um, so you could think of God as really, really old, a lot older than three. But really, that's inaccurate because old implies that there's been some duration of time since the thing began. And, and God's just always been. Before the universe existed, God still existed. And he just was. Uh, at some level, you might think of God as almost transcending, not almost, but actually transcending time in the way that we uh, began and will continue in time. God started outside of time. And so God is, you could think of God as really, really old or ancient, but it's more accurate to think of God as ageless, the ageless one who always has been since the beginning and he will be until the end. He just is. He is God. Amen. Another question came in, is yoga spiritually safe to practice? That is pretty short answer, but not necessarily always easy to figure out in a particular situation. Um, I've, I've had some experience with yoga myself, and it can just be a good way to do some stretching and simple body weight exercises. Um, but I've also been involved in things where I'm like, I, I'm out because there's clearly a spiritual meditation aspect. The spirit world is real. There are demons. There's an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we start engaging in uh, new agey or pagan stuff, uh, the spiritual things like that, we can really, uh, in an unhealthy way, open ourselves up to... Uh, just demonic oppression and even possession, depending on the situation. Uh, that stuff is real. And so the, the short answer is, can you? Yeah. Clearly there are some contexts where it's not healthy, other contexts where it's probably fine. I would say uh, be really prayerful, thoughtful, uh, engage with friends, not just doing something by yourself. And, and honest before the Lord. Is this something that's healthy and just a, a physical activity? Or is there some, some sort of uh, spiritual demonic element to this thing? And flee from that, like steer clear. If you're unsure, just go the opposite direction. Um, that would be my practical advice. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, the Apostle Paul is giving advice about some gray matter issues like food offered to idols. And he says, take heed lest you fall. Maybe you think like, oh, I'm, I'm good. It's not going to bother me. I'm like, be careful. Take heed lest you fall. Many people have thought they were good and fallen prey, fallen into sin and sinful practices. And, you know, I, I feel like just anecdotally, um, over the years, I've, I, I, 
like a, a good number of believers I've known who've gotten really actively involved with yoga, it hasn't had a very positive effect on their spiritual lives. Now, it could be totally coincidental, but I'd, I guess I'd caution care, but also not try to give a, a simple pat answer. Anywho, okay, so elections. I have many thoughts. This is going to be somewhat long, probably more belabored than most of you are interested in, so feel free to stop it. Uh, it's also going to be super Bible-heavy. If you're not a Christian, feel free to continue watching, but this probably won't be that interesting for you. If you want a simple, this is how you should vote, you're not going to want to finish this either. But if you are a born-again Christian, trying to soberly weigh uh, the responsibility that we have as American citizens today with an opportunity to engage in our political process, and you want to be faithful with that and step in and vote this fall, or if you're even just figuring out if that's what you should do, hopefully some of what we discuss here will be helpful for you. I want this to be me telling you how to vote light and principle observation heavy. So I want to look at a couple of biblical principles that we see. And these are not conflicting biblical principles, but they're both principles we need to grab a hold of. And in some ways, they might feel to pull us slightly different directions. Um, and it's important for us to embrace both. The first one is we are not to compromise as the people of God. We are to be a prophetic voice. And compromise is simple. Before you think like, oh, I, I go to church. I'm, I'm not worried about compromise. Oh, I, I'm happy to be a jerk. <laughs> like, I'm not worried about compromise. You can be a jerk all day long and still be compromising. In fact, maybe being a jerk is the compromise you've struck. Um, but we are called to be a prophetic voice, to speak truth, to be, to be salt and light. We need to main, retain our saltiness. And we find a story of King Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat? I think I say that wrong. Anyhow, we find the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17, 18, and 19. And let me read a few verses. We see that Jehoshaphat is a good king. He's a king in Judah. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. His son, Jehoshaphat, became king in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. Pause for a second. He says against Israel. You see, Israel at this point was being ruled by Ahab, Jezebel, like that whole deal. This is like Elijah the prophet right now. A few years later, Elisha will be in ministry. They profit up in the northern kingdom, Israel. Here we are in the southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is king. And it says he strengthened himself against Israel. And if you're familiar with Ahab and Jezebel, um, uh, just idolatry and paganism ran rampant. Uh, Jezebel actually hunted down prophets of God. There were many, many, many prophets of Baal. Verse two, he stationed troops in every fortified city of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim to, that his father Asa had captured. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor in abundance. He took great pride in the Lord's ways 
and he again removed the high places and Asherah poles from Judah. Jehoshaphat was a righteous king. In Psalm 45, it's a messianic psalm speaking of Jesus and quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. We read that you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. It is right to love righteousness and to hate wickedness and to do good. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. But what we find in chapter 18 is Jehoshaphat enters into an alliance, a foolish alliance, with King Ahab of Israel. 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and he made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. Then after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep, goats, and cattle for him and for the people who were with him, and he persuaded him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. For Israel's king Ahab asked Judah's king Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? He replied to him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the battle. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, First, please ask what the Lord's will is. Okay, so stepping aside for a second. Okay, cool. Jehoshaphat still wants to honor God, but he's getting drawn in to an alliance, to, to a partnership with someone who is not honoring God. Verse 5. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? They replied, March up and God will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? Let's ask him. Okay, so what we're seeing is this. Jehoshaphat is there in, in Samaria with Ahab. There are 400 prophets who say we should go. But none of them are a prophet of the Lord. These are most likely prophets of Baal. The king said this, verse 7, The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man who can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Okay, so I'm going to skip the next 10 verses just for the sake of time. Micaiah comes in and he prophesies, and actually initially he replies sarcastically, and the, the king of Israel, Ahab, asks for clarification. And then he responds and he, he prophesies Israel's defeat. And here we are at verse 17. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster? Well, they go on to do war, Jehoshaphat fighting with the evil Ahab, and they are defeated. Now Jehoshaphat ends up back in Judah and uh, well himself. And that's where we find him in first, or 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1. King Jehoshaphat of Judah returned to his home in Jerusalem in peace. Then Jehu, son of Seir, Hanani, went out to confront him and said to Jehoshaphat, Do you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the Lord's wrath is on you. However, some good is found in you, for you have eradicated the Asherah poles from the land and have determined in your heart to seek God. So there's rebuke here because he helped the wicked and he loved someone who hated God. We, as the people of God, are we cannot compromise on these significant things. We must maintain a prophetic voice. We must be a light. We must be salt. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, 
Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. This is that, that was verse 6. Verse 7, Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So that's just, that's a biblical principle. Uh, we don't want to compromise with evil. We don't want to help evil or, or love those who do evil. Uh, well, we can love the people, but to, to love in a partnering way. And so we see this in profound call for us not to become partners with evil, but to be salt, to be light, to be a prophetic voice in our day. We also see another important principle in scripture we see uh, the reality that we are in a broken world and we're to engage, not withdraw. We're to, to use our resources, to use our opportunities, not to squander them, um, but to move the ball forward. And, and we see some very practical uh, interactions between the people of God and people who are openly in sin. Um, the fact that Jehoshaphat partnered with Ahab here was evil, but there are other times where the people of God certainly in ways engaged in partnerships. For example, uh, you're probably familiar with the story of Joseph towards the end of Genesis. Essentially, through a partnership with Egypt, which was not a God-fearing nation, but through a partnership with Egypt, the people of God were saved from famine. Um, consider another example in the book of Esther. Um, Haman's ploy to destroy the Jewish people was undone by really an unbefitting marriage between Esther and an openly sinful King Ahasuerus who uh, abandoned his first wife because she wouldn't obey his drunken, arrogant commands. Uh, possibly this is King Xerxes. It's, it's uncertain. Uh, it really is a pretty messed up situation, but you see in that God uses Esther as she reaches out to the king and actually, in some ways, you might say partners with him to undo or foil Haman's plot. And actually, Haman ends up being hanged or uh, killed on, on the, the gallows that he had prepared for many of the Jewish leaders. So we see like the, these examples. And then in Luke chapter 16, and then again in Luke 19, we see parables that I think would encourage us to be resourceful, to be pragmatic, uh, to move the ball forward, not to compromise or lose our prophetic voice. Again, I do not hold these principles in conflict. There, there might at times be a little tension, and we have, to, we have to ask God for wisdom. How do we do both of these? But they're not in conflict. Luke chapter 16, verse 3. Jesus is telling the parable of the unjust steward. And so the, the, the master comes, discovers that the steward is unjust, and the, the steward, or in my translation, it says manager, the manager is about to get sacked. He's about to get fired. And we pick this up in verse three. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. And so what we see is this, this guy's a crook. He's also lazy and arrogant or proud. Uh, he's not strong enough to dig. He's not ready to actually work. He doesn't want to beg because he's, he's too proud. So what he does is while like right before he gets fired, he goes to a bunch of people who owe his master money 
he reduces their debts so that they owe him one. And in verse eight, we read this, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. For whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? This parable for many years perplexed me because I hadn't done the exercise of stepping back and saying, what's the point? Instead, I'd read the story and I'm like, commending a crook? Lazy guy? An arrogant guy? What's happening here? He wasn't commending his thievery or fraud or his laziness or his uh, arrogance. He was commending his cleverness. He figured out a way to move the ball forward. He had a temporary window, maybe days, perhaps only hours. And he said, what do I do in this window to impact the big picture? Now, you and I most likely have more than hours or days. We probably have years, maybe even decades before our eyes taste the sleep of death. But how do we use that time to impact our world for eternity, to impact generations to come for eternity? How do we use that time? Let's, let's be shrewd. Let's be clever. Jesus commends the shrewdness, the cleverness, the I'm going to use temporary opportunities to impact something. Okay, here's a, another parable. Luke chapter 19, a few pages later. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas or large sums of money and told them, engage in business until I come back. And many of you guys know this. It's, it's essentially an analog of the parable of the talents. This is the parable of the minas. And so you have 10 servants, they each get one mina. And when the nobleman returns, now with authority to be king, one servant had taken his one mina and had invested it and used it in business. And now he had 10 minas. Then the next servant had five minas. And then the third came and he still had just his one mina. He'd wrapped it up in cloth and now presented it back to the king. He did not use the resources, the opportunities. He squandered them. And without getting overly caught up with this specific parable, what I'm saying is clearly there is a call for us as the people of God not to compromise on who we are in Christ, to be a prophetic voice, to be salt and light, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. There's also a call for us to to use the opportunities right now, to engage, not to withdraw, to move the ball forward, to uh, maybe partner with an Egypt if it saves some people from famine or partner with a Xerxes if it saves the people of God from destruction by Haman. Like, right, we, we see these, these examples and we're like, okay, without compromising our prophetic voice, without losing our saltiness, our brilliance, 
how can we be faithful with the opportunities and the resources that God has given us? And the reality is voting, having platforms to speak and influence others. We have tremendous opportunity in the United States because of our political structure. These are minas or talents, you might say, that God has handed you. Don't just wrap it up with a cloth and when Jesus is, when we're standing before the Lord one day, be like, hey, I had that vote and I just decided not to vote because I didn't want to mess it up. Ah, Lord, help us use the opportunities and the resources you've given us for your glory. Hmm. So we have a few options as we consider the upcoming election, voting. Certainly one option is don't vote. I just spoke to that a little bit and I'll speak to it again a little bit more. Uh, We could vote for a major party candidate like uh, President Trump or Vice President Biden. We could vote for a third party candidate or a write-in. We have some options that we're looking at. So don't vote. Uh, Generally speaking, I would submit to you, and this is a kind way of saying it, not voting doesn't seem like a great stewardship of this opportunity. Now, I can imagine scenarios where maybe for temporary health reasons, uh, spiritual health even, that maybe you kind of need to withdraw and not participate in this particular election. If, if the current process is bringing just intense and overwhelming anxiety for an undecided voter, or if it's bringing a judgmental attitude or bitterness to a very decided voter, maybe you should actually say, you know what, this is becoming my idol, my obsession. I'm going to set it aside because this is not healthy. I'm not going to vote right now. Maybe don't vote, but that's not a good long-term solution. That would be like if somebody came in and, and talked about uh, lacking boundaries and being bitter in their, in their giving and frustrated. God loves a cheerful giver. The temporary solution might be like, hey, put a pause on some of that giving and let's, let's look at the, the underlying, uh, let's look at the opportunities and look at your priorities and affections and ask God to, to change something here. But giving is important. We're called to be a generous people. The solution, if we're not giving cheerfully, is not to never give again. The solution is to ask God to help us to be cheerful. And it's the same thing with voting. Uh, you know, there might be a moment where you're like, I, I, I can't do it right now. This is Jesus, I need help. And like, you got to work through something. But as a rule, I would say, this is an opportunity. This is a resource. This is a stewardship that God has given us and abandoning that is not honoring the Lord. It's, it's being lazy or fearful, or I'm not, I'm not sure what the particular motive is. Um, feel free to, uh, feel free to give me some thoughts. If you think there are some other reasons, valid reasons to not vote over the long haul, but it seems like, uh, it seems like not investing your mina or your talent. Okay. So the next option Vote for a major party. Okay, so I want to break this up. I want to go through some policy areas and then talk about the people who are running. Um, Because I think both are significant. The policies that that are being enacted, but also the people that are being held up and uh, that are modeling and influencing and and, uh, coming up with policy to things that are somewhat on the fly especially when it comes to the role of the executive. I think if you were, you know, simply voting for 
I don't know, like a county legislator. It's kind of like, hey, are you going to balance the budget? Cool. I don't really care about anything else. Like just the, the policy is all that matters. But when we're talking about a governor or a president, that executive, they're the head of the army. There, there could be all sorts of crises that come up and they're going to be the one in an instant that's responding and reacting. Uh, their, their character and their uh, personal ability to lead and like that's huge. Okay. So firstly, policies. Um, I want to talk about, and I don't, this might seem kind of character-y, but I mean it in a policy way. I want to talk about approach to government briefly. Neither President Trump nor Vice President Biden, their, their intuition is not always particularly constitutional. They'll, they'll reference constitutional constraints in moments that seem to work for them. And I'll even reference one of those with, with Biden later. But th there is an intuition in both of these men in terms of the way they go about making executive decisions that is... Okay, for example, this past May 26th, President Trump made some tweets, he posted some tweets that Twitter then appended a fact-checked to, or to which Twitter then appended a fact-check. Uh, just a couple of days later, President Trump signed an executive order regarding the prevention of online censorship effectively trying to modify Section 230 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, a law which was passed by Congress and perfectly constitutional. And again, Trump cannot create laws by fiat or undo constitutional laws. That's not the place of the president. He is not a king. He's not a dictator. Trump's intuition regarding the approach to government, it's bad. Trump derangement sy syndrome is a thing. I think many people freak out and like just lose their minds because of President Trump. But I do understand why people have fears that he might misuse government power for personal ends. Because um, he has. And then another example regarding uh, Vice President Biden. Um, he tweeted out, so it wasn't a problem with, a, with Twitter, but via tweet, he said, as president, I will implement nationwide mask mandates. That is just not the role of the president. That is a state issue. Very clearly, it's a, it's a federalism issue. Now, Trump was pretty good on that at moments during this whole COVID-19 thing. Although at other moments, he, he made it sound like he was just going to walk over governors. Again, they both appeal to the Constitution at times when it's convenient, but their intuition is really to do what they want, and they use the Constitution as grounds when it's convenient. So on the policy of kind of approach to government and being constrained by the Constitution, rule of law, I think both of them uh, get an F from me. <laughs> Regarding spending, they're both really bad. Biden is worse than Trump on spending. I'll happily concede that. Everywhere Trump wants to spend, Biden most likely wants to spend twice as much, except for maybe possibly like energy subsidies for like uh, fossil fuels. Although who knows what he's flip-flopped on that one so much. And I'll talk about that later. Um, but here's a video from president Trump a few years ago when he was running for president. You know, I'm the king of debt. I understand debt better than probably anybody. I know how to, I know how to deal with debt. 
You tax China, they stop financing our debt, our economy collapses. We tax China, we'll pay off their debt very quickly. When I heard we were going to Iraq, somebody said, oh, we're going for the oil. I said, huh, that makes sense, that's smart. Fifteen trillion dollars. That does a lot to solve our deficit problem, doesn't it? We have a country that's essentially a debtor nation right now. So we're going to make our country wealthy again. I will bring our energy companies back. They'll be able to compete. They'll make money. They'll pay off our national debt. Under the Paris... The point is, again and again and again, Trump talked about deficit. He talked about paying off debt. Not only have we not paid off a penny of debt. In 2016, the last year of Barack Obama's presidency, the national deficit, meaning the amount that we like had to borrow to, to pay everything that we're paying for, we had to borrow $585 billion. In 2017, it was almost $100 billion more. And every year of Trump's presidency, the deficit has been higher than the prior year. Literally, uh, aside from like the first couple of years after the 2008 crash, so maybe like the first two or three years of Obama's presidency. Aside from that, Trump's deficits have been higher, and our economy prior to COVID was booming. Like there was the only ex explanation for our crazy deficits over the past four years is that Trump doesn't care at all about spending and is happy to spend, 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 spend. Uh, not gonna lie when he was running and talking about paying off debt. And by the way, there's like minutes more of that clip. I just didn't feel like playing the whole thing. Uh, I didn't believe he actually would. Turns out he wouldn't. Now, Biden is even worse on spending. He's, he's flirting with aspects of the, the Green New Deal and uh, his proposals on everything from healthcare to energy to regulation to... It's just, it's all more and more and more... I've seen, it's it's hard to predict. I've seen predictions that Biden's like proposals will get us over 10 trillion more in debt in the next decade and Trump's maybe like half that. Uh, but the point is they're both huge spenders. Spending is concerning to me. Our national debt is massive. Let me look up the national debt clock real quick. I can't remember what it's at, like 25 trillion maybe? What is our national debt? $27 trillion. Now, I will concede this. The national debt is huge, and thus far, it doesn't seem to have had terrible consequences for us. But there will come a time. Right now, we're already spending like hundreds of billions on interest on the debt every year. There's going to come a time where we are spending trillions of dollars every year, the federal government spending trillions of dollars, not only on the programs, but just to pay off the interest on the debt. And unless something radically changes, which neither Trump nor Biden, uh, you know, are, are proposing at all, unless something radically changes, we're going to be borrowing money to pay off interest on our debt, like the minimums. Imagine if you had a credit card. And your credit card just stacked up. I mean, you owed like hundreds of thousands of dollars in your credit card. And the monthly minimum was now thousands of dollars, even more than you brought in a paycheck. Not only do you have crazy spending that got you into those hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, but you're literally needing to borrow money now just to pay off the minimums on that credit card. At some point, the house of card collapses. When we 
when we spend money in deficit, when we're borrowing money, it is a tax on future generations. If you are considering future generations, uh, you can't go with Biden or Trump. It, it's like they they both get an F on spending, although to be fair, I give Biden an F minus minus. Foreign policy. You know, uh, I am too little of an expert on foreign policy to judge either strongly. Um, some big pluses with Trump. I was afraid he might get us into World War III, and that has not happened. In fact, uh, we he has been able to get NATO partners to contribute more funding to that alliance. Uh, we see some peace processes in the Middle East that are amazing and really exciting. Uh, we are still, we still have troops in Afghanistan, which Trump talked about getting out of there I don't know, when he was running for election in 2016. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. It's certainly not everything I'd love to see, but I've actually been fairly happy with Trump's foreign policy. Biden, Biden has been, he's just same old. Uh, he's same old. If, if you liked foreign policy under Clinton, Bush, and Obama, you'll probably like it under Biden. And if you think Clinton, Bush, and Obama had radically different foreign policies, eh, they weren't really that different. Look into it sometime. But I'm not going to talk about foreign policy much because it's actually not an area I know a ton about or have strong opinions about because I feel like there's like no winning with foreign policy. Okay, an economy. Trump has been loosening regulations, which has definitely helped the economy. There's a reason the economy is, it was booming the first, up, up until COVID-19. And, and I do have to wonder if part of the eagerness to lock down on COVID-19, I'm sure part of it was fear of the virus, but I do have to wonder if part of it was to hurt the economy because it was booming. And a lot of that was simply having a president that was loosening regulations and, and a president that's not anti-business. You know, when businesses realize that, hey, we don't have to worry about some random, massive business-altering constraint getting dropped on us the next year, they're free to invest. They're free to expand. And so the, the economy really was booming under him. I, I, I would give Trump, like, an, if he tried to take a little less credit for it, because it's also... It was partly just the economy was in recovery already. I would give him a good grade, though. I'd give him like an A minus on the economy. He's done a great job. Biden is proposing all sorts of restrictions, uh, crazy spending, more regulations on. Oh, Trump has not been good on trade, though. Hmm. Okay, I'm moving that to a B minus for Trump. Forgot about trade for a moment. He just, he gets in these weird tit for tat things. It's don't love it. Okay. Uh, Biden, Biden on the economy, he just, he's kind of a, a middle of the road politician, but he's going where the winds blow. And right now he's a part of a, a far leftist movement that is really flirting with a, like radical Marxism and things that are just absolute economy killers. It, while it's impossible to predict, predict for certain what, an, what a Biden economy will look like, uh, 
it, given some of the things he's he said, like uh, trying to move away from fossil fuels aggressively, I, I can't imagine he's going to be great for the economy. Religious liberty and social values. Now, overall, the Trump administration has been pretty great on these things. His, his tweets and who Trump is, maybe not so much, but the administration, uh, we have... The, the DOJ has been doing a great job of, of supporting freedom and liberty. Uh, the Department of Education changing some of those gender bathroom policies and schools and, and things like that. Like, like overall, it's, it's been pretty good. Again, Trump himself, I think, is terrible on the social values side of things. But the administration has been pretty great overall. Uh, I do have deep concerns with Biden both who he is and what he's been involved in. Uh, just recently at the town hall, like what was that last Thursday? He made comments about allowing children to decide their gender. And that might seem kind at first, but it's actually not loving to that specific child, but also more seriously for the president of the United States, it's going to influence things like bathroom policy. And all of a sudden you'll have uh, adolescent boys who are identifying as girls changing the locker room with a girl who's maybe like was abused as a child. And it, it could be a really traumatic, unhealthy situation could lead to issues. Like it's just, uh, if you want to talk about that more, talk to me sometime, but deeply concerning on things like that. Uh, definitely the left and again, I would say to Biden's credit, he's a little bit more centrist than everybody else. If you looked at the Democratic debates, I don't know, last, like, what, February, March, he definitely looked the most middle of the road. But the way the Democratic Party is moving, Obama, who was pretty leftist when he was elected into office, would be, like, almost conservative today. And Biden's definitely going along for the ride. And that is deeply concerning to me. Criminal justice reform. Trump's actually been decent on this. Uh, I mean, a lot of criminal justice reform needs to happen at the state level, so I wouldn't put tons on the president, but to the extent that there have been really bad federal laws regarding like the drug war and things like that, Trump's First Step Act, which helps try to um, get prisoners out of like early release and into healthy, successful life after the fact, so that there's a lower recidivism rate, two thumbs up. Um, he's issued a number of pardons, there was one example of a woman named Johnson who had served 21 years of a life sentence. You want to know what she was convicted for? Charges of conspiracy to possess cocaine and attempted possession of cocaine. So she tried to get drugs once. So she went to prison for life. I don't even know what to say about that. That's just like, ugh. but Trump pardoned her. So... Amen. Good on Trump. He's working with people on criminal justice reform. I love it. Uh, Biden doesn't have a great record on criminal justice reform. In fact, he, he's been involved in some of the uh, kind of the overreaction to crime in the 80s and 90s. That was an overreaction. But my fear isn't that he's going to continue an overreaction to crime. It's that he's the kind of person who overreacts. And a well-founded fear from statements over the past months that he has made and Harris has made. By the way, Harris doesn't have a great record from the past either. But with both of them, my, my well-founded concern 
is that instead of bringing sensible reforms the way Trump has been the past few years, they will likely embrace radical BLM ideas and almost be blind to criminality and forfeit order in our society. That's concerning to me. Okay, SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States. Gotta say, uh, Justice Gorsuch has been brilliant to the extent that I've read his opinions thus far. Um, I, I do... His, his opinion, Bostock, was that the name of the case? The 1964 Civil Rights Act case? Yeah, Bostock. Definitely his interpretation was a bit wooden or overly stringent, and I think I actually prefer Kavanaugh's take. So I disagreed with Gorsuch, but I loved his reasoning and his rationale, and he is a, a good justice who is going to the law and trying to interpret law from the text of the law. Kavanaugh is the same way. I actually, I wasn't sure. My, my initial take with Kavanaugh is that he was just, a good old boy. I don't know. Maybe I got caught up with the media, eh, even some of the stuff he said himself, but I've read some of his opinions and dissents over the past year. And Kavanaugh was actually a pretty solid pick from, you know, the first couple of years of his term with the, uh, his service on the court, uh, potential justice, Amy Coney, Coney Barrett is, uh, she seems amazing thus far. You never really know until you have a couple years of opinions and dissents to look at, but she looks super solid. And looking forward, one might think, okay, well, that was three this past, you know, uh, presidential term. Does the court have an, or do we have any interest in the court in the future? Well, two things. Firstly, in addition to three Supreme Court uh, nominations and two confirmations in Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, the Trump administration has put in over a hundred judges at various district courts and appellate courts. Barrett would be one of them. Uh, two years ago, maybe they put her in the was it the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. So over a hundred judges. There'll be plenty more in the next four years. And actually, Justice Breyer, who's on the Supreme Court, is 82 years old. He is somewhat progressive. So I suspect if Trump were to win re-election, Justice Breyer would try, like RGB, to retire after his term came to a close in 2020, well, January of 2025. But, um, you know, certainly I don't wish him any ill, but at 82, it's very possible that there will be another vacancy on the court in the next four years. Okay, one more issue I want to look at. I realize that there are potentially tons, but I just kind of scratched out a few. I just have a bullet list I'm going through right now. Abortion. Okay, let's think about abortion for a second. Um, Biden has been, he's been pro-choice for a long time, if not the entirety of his career in politics, which is like almost half a century. He has, again, tacked at times or been taken the middle of the road position. You know, he was pro-choice, but supported the Hyde Amendment, which prevented federal funds from funding abortion specifically. Um, under the Obama administration, they reversed the Mexico City policy which is for funding international abortions. And I suspect Biden would do the same thing. He gives us no reason to think not because actually he has disavowed the Hyde Amendment. So he is taking a more extreme pro-choice position in terms of both the issue itself, but also federal funding for abortion, both foreign and domestic. On the contrary, Trump is not 
simply middle of the road, but slightly pro-life. He's possibly the most vocally pro-life president we've had since legalized abortion on demand. I'm not positive, but he is quite vocal about it. And again, this was something that four years ago is like, oh, how is this going to follow through? Because Trump was pro-choice for a lot of his life and seemed to have a bit of a uh, conversion on the issue, so to speak. Um, But he's actually been remarkably pro-life vocally. He's been uh, under him, Title X funding to Planned Parenthood got rescinded. Uh, and, and he's my, my confidence with someone like Trump is I do think if he were president for the next four years, if any sort of uh, legal pro-life legislation came before his desk, he would uh, happily sign it. Whereas if Biden were the president and some good legislation came before him, I think he would in a very celebratory way, veto any such legislation. One thing I will just note about Trump, and this is where like people, when we talk about spending and just money from the federal government, sometimes people are like, ah, whatever, check this. So a couple of years ago, Planned Parenthood lost Title X funding. But because of the fact that Trump is just a spender, 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 even more so than Obama, when Obama's term ended, Planned Parenthood was getting about $500 billion a year from the federal government. This year, they'll get about $600 billion from the federal government. Now, that doesn't include Title X funding because they lost that, which is funding for specific kinds of like women's health care. But they're getting $600 billion that they can still spend on all sorts of programs and advertisements. And we, we all know that money's fungible. So say you're doing two things. If you are... If you have 50 bucks and you want to do $100 worth of projects and I give you $50 for half your projects, well, you'll just take that $50 and spend that 50 on the other half of the projects that I won't fund. Like it's, I want to see them entirely defunded. Good news is I think Trump would do that specifically if it came before him. The bad news is that the practical effect of a spender like Trump in office is he happily goes along with all sorts of spending increases, including increases in funding to Planned Parenthood during the course of his presidency. Okay, so that was a list of, of a list of policy areas. And and I really will say, I hope it's pretty clear that looking at all of these, they are both troubling to me. Or Trump has done pretty well, and Biden is heavily troubling. And, and the, the net effect is, uh, really, as I look at these people in terms of what, what would be accomplished just practically in terms of their administration, Biden is not even an option. I, th- I think the last issue we discussed alone, abortion is one of them for me. Uh, abortion is evil and vile. Um, someone like Biden is, uh, he is calling evil good. He is f- interested in funding it domestically. I assume that would con- like get transferred to his international funding. By the way, President Trump, the day after he got into office on January 23rd, maybe that was two days after he got into o- office, he issued an executive order reversing the Mexico City policy as it was carried out under Barack Obama. So we stopped funding. We are not right now directly funding any international abortion. Um Biden wants to fund it domestically and probably internationally. Biden wants to spend more. He's worse on religious issues and social values. He's worse on criminal justice reform, worse on the economy. Uh, 
foreign policy, I'll give them both a neutral grade just because I don't really know that much about it. They're, they both have a bad approach to government. But in terms of what's actually happened, what they've done, Trump in the past four years, Biden in the past four decades, uh, tr Biden's not even an option for me. But based on policy and the practical effects of his administration, I certainly am strongly considering a vote for Donald Trump. That gets us to thinking about the people themselves. Now, some might say, and, and maybe they're correct, but I, I don't agree with them, that it all that matters is the policy. The person doesn't matter. As I briefly alluded to earlier, I do think the person matters. I think the person matters for multiple reasons. One is I think just the character of an executive matters because they're dealing with emergencies and crises as they come up. For example, I don't think the president of the United States should do much at all regarding COVID-19. It's a job for states for the most part. Uh, I am a fan of the CDC having some involvement Certainly, international travel and trade would be under the purview of the president. But here's what a president with, with healthy leadership instincts, with healthy uh, character and integrity, what that president is able to do. It's not a policy thing at all. It's a, ah, oh, we're going to be okay. A good president steps up in the middle of a national emergency kind of the way President Bush did right after 9-11. There he, he went to ground zero and he gave a great speech and he spoke to all Americans, not just red state Americans, not just the ones who voted for him, all Americans. And he said, we are united. We are a people. We have been threatened. We're going to make it through this. And there's a moment for unification. And uh, President Bush was not a perfect president. I have um, eh, several major critiques of him. But he was able to step up. He had that character. And, and by the way, I, I do suspect he was, he was a born-again Christian. Um, I, I don't think that's the sole consideration upon which I, I would vote for somebody or not, for sure. But that, that's significant in this character conversation. Barack Obama, way fewer points than, than a Bush, even when it comes to character. I think he uh, had many problems, but I'm not going to get into a long aside. One of the things he was able to do was step up in the moment. Uh, he failed several times when there were national issues. He failed majorly. And actually, I think he fanned the flames of division, sadly. But there were moments where he stepped up in a real, with a real unifying voice. Um, President Trump, it comes easily to him, fanning the flames of division. He isn't as great at bringing a sense of unifying, we're going to get through this together. Um, part of that is because he just does a really bad job of it. But part of it is his ethos. Uh, President Trump is sexually immoral. He's crude, disrespectful. He's arrogant. And by the way, sadly, one of the sad consequences of having an executive with bad character is not only that they might not be as fit to lead as an executive, but it can change the national conversation. And, and I almost feel like uh, lying and disrespect and arrogance aren't seen the, seen the same way by many Americans, including many American Christians, for whom 
arrogance, arrogance is listed in scripture uh, amongst lists of sins, along with idolatry and reviling and, and being disrespectful to parents. Arrogance is, is horrific. Donald Trump is quite arrogant. In fact, at one point, he was asked a question point blank about uh, just the fact that people don't think he's too humble. Let me play the clip. It's really short. You're not known to be a humble man, but I wonder. I think I am actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. Now, that video right there, uh, his answer. Now, if he actually lived a life that exemplified amazing humility, I might pardon his eagerness to answer that question as like just a, that wasn't smooth. But that question, when you know anything about who John, Donald Trump is, that question typifies his condescension, his disrespect, his arrogance, his, it literally, it, it was so ironic because in a moment where he could have paused and been like, hmm, wow, you know, that's certainly, I, I don't intend to come across as arrogant. Uh, I've, I've learned many lessons in my life and I feel like there've been many mistakes I've made and I'm, I'm sorry for those. And I feel like I've grown and uh, th there's a confidence I have and that confidence is a strength. Like he could have given some like solid, confident, uh, affirming of just like his competence without coming across as just so utterly pompous. But there you have President Donald Trump. Um, he is not a man who exemplifies godly character. Politicians flip-flop. Uh, this is true of Biden. This is true of Harris. It's true of most politicians. They lie. They change their positions. Uh, many Republican senators are flip-flopping on comments they made in 2018 or 2016 regarding Supreme Court confirmation processes. Uh, flip-flopping is part of politics. It's part of why I'm not a fan of most politicians. President Trump has taken it to the next level. He is able to flip-flop. Flip-flopping might be underselling it. He is able to lie and contradict himself within a matter of minutes. Check out this clip. This is what happened. He talked to ABC first before their show, and they had asked him about that advertisement that showed women quoting things, actual quotes of Mr. Trump. So here's what he said when asked about that ad. Have you seen that, and what did you make of it? Well, you know, I, I have seen it, and it was a Romney deal. Okay, just a couple of minutes later, he appeared live on this show. Here's what he had to say. Thing to Obviously, say. I have not seen the ad, so I would have to see it. I've heard about the ad, but I have not seen the ad. Nicole, does this matter? I mean, when, when a guy contradicts himself within a couple of minutes, do people care? So pre-Trump, that used to be the sort of thing that really tripped up a campaign. They'd take two days trying to explain it to people like Chuck and Mark. In the post-Trump era, in, in, in the Trump era, he contradicts himself within a news cycle. And this was within the hour of the morning shows. Hour? This was within five minutes. minutes. Right. Yeah. Now, that particular clip, maybe you're thinking, well, it's not that significant that he lied about seeing a commercial. The problem is it feels like, now I realize the, the fact checkers are definitely over aggressive with Trump, so I don't believe this number, but there are some official journalist fact checking organizations that have clocked well over 10,000 public lies by President Trump. I wouldn't be surprised if half of those are lying fact checks. <laughs> uh, the state of things is quite pitiful. 
But the reality is it's been documented by videos like that, capturing Trump literally lying and then telling the truth or telling the truth and lying within a matter of minutes. And it permeates just who he is and how he communicates. This isn't good character. Uh, you know, many of the things he says comes across so disrespectful and, and so just ridiculous. I don't want to go on for too long. I have a friend who can always explain Trump in a way that actually makes him sound palatable. And, and Vice President Trump did an okay job during the VP debate a couple weeks back. But my friend who always says Trump is, uh, oh, it really makes sense. He didn't really mean that. He also says Trump is a genius. If Trump is a genius, why is he unable to make himself sound good, remotely decent? Uh, he just, he, he's not a decent person. Um, now, again, most, most politicians sadly are not. Um, and this is certainly true of Biden, too. He's got 50 years of flip-flops, just the, the fracking debacle over the past few weeks is one example. You can literally find videos where he like promises people no more fossil fuel. It's not going to be a thing under his administration. And then other videos where he's like, I never said I wouldn't do fracking. Like it just, uh, the lying, it, it drives me nuts. He, he's a man with little character. Uh, he's creepy with the best of them, which isn't itself a, sex, uh, a defect, but the sexual assault claim against Biden, I looked into it briefly by Tara Reid. It's not something I would go far with because there's little evidence, but it's more credible than the claims against Kavanaugh, which blew up our news cycle for weeks or maybe even months. Furthermore, when the allegations arose against Kavanaugh, Biden went along with the believe all women aspect of the Me Too movement. Believe all women? Really? Like just because there's an allegation, now we have to believe them and prevent someone from becoming a Supreme Court justice? What about you, Vice President Biden, when you're running for president? Um, he flip-flopped because all of a sudden he doesn't believe Reed. Says it's not true. Well, three concerns here. One concern, flip-flopping. He doesn't believe Reed. Second concern, he possibly sexually assaulted her. Third concern, if he flip-flops back to believe all women accepting allegations without substantiation, that position that he held just a couple of years ago and he might flip-flop back into, if he, if he really holds that, that undermines healthy society. And if it at all influences the way he enforces law, it's a violation of innocent until proven guilty, which is a violation of our Fifth Amendment due process clause. I could go on and on. I am, you may have noticed, I spend a little bit more time usually when discussing President Trump. And the reason why is because to the extent that I'm making decisions, Biden for me is not particularly an option. And I figure it's probably similar for many of you, but I do want to address him in case for some of you, you are considering, I don't consider Biden an option. I would say, generally speaking, he's uh, just as bad, just maybe with a slightly shinier veneer or many, 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 many times worse. Uh, briefly, Harris and Pence. Harris is extremely concerning for multiple reasons. Uh, her, her, sh her tendency is her natural tendency is extremely authoritarian, and we've seen that on display for years when she was uh, an attorney general. Um, 
and you can you can look into our history sometime if you want to. But just this one clip, this clip actually makes Biden look like the the restrained law-abiding candidate, which half the time he doesn't even sound like. But compared to Harris, he sounds downright conservative. Check this out. People are seeking the nomination. They said, I'm going to issue an executive order. Biden saying there's no constitutional authority to issue that executive order when they say I'm going to eliminate assault weapons, saying you can't do it by executive order any more than Trump can do things when he says he can do it by executive order. Does the vice president have a point there? Some things you can. Many things you can't. <laughs> Let's let the senator answer. Well, I mean, I would just say, hey, Joe, instead of saying no, we can't, let's say yes, we can. <laughs> let's be constitutional. We got a constitution. And yes, we can, because I'll tell you something. For the record, I don't think Biden is particularly constrained by the Constitution, but compared to Harris, you betcha. Vice President Pence, you know, to the extent I've I've seen him over the years, uh, I've seen him in multiple debates, giving speeches. He, he seems quite admirable, actually. I I've, I really enjoy him. The, the only question I've ever had regarding his character is, how did he decide to be Trump's running mate? And and maybe it was for a great reason, so I wouldn't like hold it against him. It's just perplexed me at times. Um, but no, he he seems quite admirable. If you're aware of something specific about Trump that or Pence, excuse me. That would, you know, really call into question his uh, integrity or whether he's he's like tells the truth, etc. Please let me know. I'd love to hear. Okay, so all this to say, I did not vote for President Trump in 2016. I had all these character concerns. Plus, I was entirely unsure what a President Trump administration would look like policy-wise. His character was clear. His policy follow-through, uncertain. This year, I'm very strongly considering voting for President Trump because as I look at the past three and a half, almost four years of, of just practical effects of his administration, three, potentially three, hopefully soon to be three great justices, uh, a booming economy, um, so some great movement in terms of religious liberty and things like that from his administration. Definitely some concerns. I'm super concerned about the spending. I think it's it's reckless and runaway, but it seems like the only other real choice is Biden, who would be probably twice as bad at spending. Um, the foreign policy, better than the previous few presidents and likely better than Biden. Like it, Overall, it, it's decent, but his, his character is difficult. I, I strongly condemn his poor character on many issues. He's disrespectful towards women. He's disrespectful towards uh, POWs. Like, it's just some of the stuff he, he said, it, it's just utterly appalling. And I see shortcomings in his approach to pol policy, like the crazy high spending and even his tendency to abuse power for the government power for personal gain. But for the most part, that has not defined his administration. It's really been pretty good. There are many major wins in the past few, four years. And, and honestly, I've been surprised by how decent things have been. And it encourages me to possibly vote for him. So we talked about the don't vote option. We talked about the vote for a major party candidate. For me, that would be clear. It's Trump. Um, there's another option, vote right in or third party. Do you ever feel like we are trapped in this 
Republicans and Democrats duopoly? Like maybe it's time to bust out. And the reality is this, voting for the lesser of two evils, election after election after election, gets us in a situation where our two options are Joe Biden and Donald Trump. If there, there's just a sense of we need people who have a vision beyond this, who can, who can see something bigger, who can, I, I don't know, like if I, if I stick myself, confine myself to the sense that I have to, I can only vote for the Republican or the Democrat, it's pretty easy for me. It's, it's, I don't know if I'd call it a no-brainer, but close. It's Trump, clearly. Uh, I, I dislike him as a presidential candidate and a president in many ways. Um, and I want to try to say that in a respectful way. I, I, I'm not trying to be uh, disparaging. I'm trying to process honestly and openly two candidates, neither of which I have much respect for as candidates for president. They're both running for president right now. I'm just like, ah, no. And, and so I look at that, but if I feel, if I'm trapped, then the answer is clear for me, Donald Trump, uh, take everything else off the table. When it comes to valuing life, he's, he's clearly the, the, the candidate who respects. And if, if government exists for anything, it's to call murder, murder. Like, <laughs> Uh, you can you can create the most robust and broad sweeping concept of pro-life, and if it misses calling murder murder, it ain't pro-life. Um, so that, that's pretty clear. But the thing is, part of me feels like we've all been hoodwinked, and like, why are we stuck with these two these two choices? Maybe some of us need to start saying something different. And you can say something on Facebook. You can say something at a dinner party. You can say something by voting. As you, you can talk to your blue in the face, red in the face, whatever. <laughs> if you just continue to vote Republican or Democrat because of the two, it's only two real choices problem, they're never going to seriously consider your complaints. Um, sometimes the best way to send a message is to say, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not playing this game anymore. Now I've heard some would say, but that's a wasted vote. That's a wasted vote. I would say it's not a wasted vote necessarily. Certainly if, if you feel strongly like you'd be wasting your vote, feel free to vote. I'm, I'm even strongly considering voting for Trump. Although when I go through just looking at who he is and what he represents, it is hard for me just being honest, but I'm, I'm considering it. So like, I'm not trying to say you have to vote third party. I'm thinking about voting for a major party right now, but man, the idea that it's a wasted vote. No, it's not. That's not true. Look at Jeremiah's ministry. He called Israel to repentance. Did they repent? No. He had a ministry over the course of, I don't know, 40, 50 years, as long as Biden's been in politics. And in terms of like, uh, pragmatic results, he was a failure, but his ministry was a success because he was obeying the Lord. Like the, the idea that your vote only matters if you voted for the person who won, does that mean that everyone who voted for John McCain wasted their vote in 2008? Does that mean that everybody who voted for uh, Mitt Romney in 2012 wasted their vote or 
uh, who, who knows what, who, whichever candidate you want to take, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Like, no, just your vote is wasted when you're not stewarding it well. In fact, you could vote for the winner and totally waste your vote if you're not stewarding it well. Like that, that's what success is. It's stewarding the vote well. And, and something to consider in that process is, does this vote actually accomplish something? And is there something good to, that it might well accomplish? And that, that should influence our, our voting calculus. But the idea that voting for someone who didn't win is a waste is, uh, it, it's, it's not understanding what stewardship is. Secondly, it actually could accomplish some really practical stuff. So here's a thought. I live in New York State. In New York State, prior to 2020, a party needed 50,000 votes in a presidential or gubernatorial race in order to be on the ballot the next election. So in 2018, in New York State, we had a number of candidates run. We had several parties with candidates. We had candidates, you know, the, the Constitution, our Conservative Party was listed, the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Working Families Party. Uh, there may have been other parties on the line, but those are the, the ones I can remember. This year in 2020, the duopoly in power, because both Republicans and Democrats, one thing they, they agree on, the ones in power at least, they want to stay in power. They want you forced to vote for a Democrat or Republican. You are, again, I feel like I'm just like kowtowing to, the, to, the, to a corrupt system when I vote Democrat, Republican, because this is what they did in New York State in 2020. They changed the rule, so it's 130. They moved it from 50,000 votes to 130,000 votes, which means if that had been in place in 2018, the only party, in addition to the two major parties, that would have ballot access this year by default would be the conservative party. The libertarian party, not enough votes. The working family party, not enough votes. The green party, not enough votes. The duopoly is trying to ensure their continued power, and the only way to break out is to stop voting for them. And, and in fact, you could vote in New York. New York State, I have some friends who think Trump might win it. I would be extremely surprised. Although, hey, that'd be kind of cool. Um, but most likely, New York State is going to be won by Vice President Biden. So if Biden wins New York State, feel free to vote for whomever you think would be stewarding your vote well for. But one thing to consider is voting for the working family party line or the conservative line or the libertarian line or the green party line. Uh, I'm not recommending any of those four, by the way, specifically, but I'm saying consider them because it could actually help them be on the line the next time around. And who knows, maybe at some point, some party will rise up and shake this thing because as long as we all just keep voting Democrat and Republican, guess what we're going to be stuck with? Democrats and Republicans. But here's my biggest concern that I'm kind of wrestling through with with voting for Trump, which I'm considering doing. But the, the fact is, not only is Trump uh, of, of exceedingly poor character in many ways, but he's utterly unrepentant. You might say some of these things are even decades in the past, but he is utterly unrepentant. And, and I do wonder, is it possible that we're we're forfeiting a clear prophetic voice, or if it is it possible, I would be forfeiting a clear prophetic voice by voting for and supporting Trump in light of not only his poor character, but his continued unrepentance. And I'm not just saying he's unrepentant. Trump himself has said so. I just got one more, because you used the word Christian. 
Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? That's a tough question. I, I don't think in terms of, I have, I'm, I'm a religious person. Shockingly, because people are so shocked when they find this out, uh, I'm Protestant, I'm Presbyterian. And I go to church and I love God and I love my church. And Norman wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, which is but, a great book. But have you ever asked God for forgiveness? <laughs> I'm not sure I have. I just go and try and do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think I, if, I, if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. Now, and it's not just radical lefties who might get the wrong message, who might, for whom our saltiness, our light, might, be, might lose the saltiness, might become covered with whom our prophetic voice might grow faint. I wonder if Trump himself is getting the wrong message from the church. The reality is Trump considers evangelical support as justification for his continued unrepentance. And that is tragic. A man's soul might be hanging in the balance and that definitely causes pause. Attack lines has to do with an answer you gave to Frank Luntz uh, months ago when you said that you've never asked God for forgiveness. Do you, do you regret making that remark? No, I have great relationship with God. I have great relationship with uh, the evangelicals. In fact, nationwide, I'm, I'm up by a lot. I'm leaving everybody. But I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try and do nothing that's bad. I live a very different life than probably a lot of people would think. And I have a very, great, I have a very great relationship with God, and I have a very great relationship with the evangelicals, and I think that's why I'm doing so well with Iowa. Okay, so let me wrap this up because this has been like super long, even longer than I was anticipating. I was thinking an hour and I think we're hour and 10 minutes in. I, I'm, I'm asking God for wisdom in this season. I, I want to steward my vote well. Um, I definitely will vote because I, I'm, I feel like I can vote in a healthy way. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's a resource. It's an opportunity. It's a talent or a, a mina that I have. To, to, to steward well. So I want to vote. Um, I'm definitely considering voting for Donald Trump. When I look at the two candidates, it, it's quite clear to me which one is preferable, but it is also fair to say that I see this as a lesser of two evils scenario. And I may very well choose to do a third party or a write-in candidate. If... If I feel like in any way this, this, this supporting one of the lesser of two evils would not simply be Egypt helping in the midst of a famine, but partnering with Ahab in something unholy. And I don't know, I'm wrestling through that and I'm not sure it's clear. Uh, I think you need to wrestle through it too. <laughs> if you're even wrestling, you don't necessarily have to. Uh, I don't know. I wish it was easier. Maybe I wish I cared less. <laughs> uh, I certainly wish Trump were Pence. Uh, this would be, 
I would be excited to vote for Vice President Pence. Um, I am pained by the decision-making process considering the options I have. Um, but yeah, let me just say, let's, let's honor Jesus in this. Let's submit these things to the Lord. Let's not do what makes us feel good about ourselves. Let's do, uh, let's really genuinely submit this to the Lord and try to honor him in this area of life. Let's steward this opportunity well. Amen. Sorry if I made it more complicated for you. You're welcome if I helped you. (laughs) And until next time, peace.